Hello and welcome back to Recipe to the Road podcast. Thank you for listening. I know I always say that, but honestly, I'm just so grateful for everyone who's supported the podcast and my Instagram page so far. So this week, I'm talking about an issue that comes up a lot when I talk to different people about travel, and that is budget and money. I'm going to be talking to Emma from Bridlington in Yorkshire, and she's going to give me some of her trips about how she saves money while traveling. We didn't discuss this in the podcast, but Emma told me that she works up to 80 hours a week, working multiple jobs, and literally just saves, 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 and then makes her money last as long as possible while she's traveling. So once she's saved up the money then, she heads off traveling and she just makes it last as long as she possibly can. She's traveled all over, which you will hear about now. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. So let's start. What we talked about most is your experience van lifing around Canada. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so basically I didn't expect to be going to Canada. As I did hear, it was quite an expensive country for backpacking. But had a little look on Facebook Marketplace, saw that I could buy a van for a £1,000, the equivalent of a €1,000, or in Canadian it was $1,800 Canadian dollars. So I went and bought that and basically spent the best part of eight months traveling around Canada in it. What did you do like as you were traveling around? Like how, how does that work out? So I fell in love with hiking. So it's one of the best countries for it and incredibly easy to get around with a van. Um, you only have to drive like half an hour, 10 minutes and the scenery can be so diverse. And because it's a not very populated country, pretty much everywhere you go, you're not really going to see that many people even in the height of the seasons. So where in Canada did you go? So I started in Vancouver um, and just worked my way across British Columbia, um, mainly in the national parks. Um, I ended up staying in Revelstoke for a little bit as well. So obviously you know that we spent um, two just over two years in BC, so we probably went to a lot of the same places. Yeah, it was... Such a beautiful place. It's so big as well. Um, like honestly, I feel like I could have spent like another eight months just in BC alone. Um, I did make it into Alberta, the other province, but really that's huge as well. So it was predominantly in the national parks hiking. It also saved money as well to be in the same area for a while. You weren't paying like the gas fees, so. Yeah, if you just went and stocked up from a cheaper supermarket, got your gas filled up, then you could go and just base yourself in the national park for a few weeks before you have to go back to civilization, which oh was God. cool. But that obviously, you don't see many people whilst you're doing that. So for the social skills, it's probably good to go back to civilization for a little bit, unless you're okay with like showering in lakes and rivers then I can imagine some people probably just need that hot shower yeah so you're proper living wild like uh, in the parks yes. for a while yes um, so cool it's very easy to do so it's probably like there are a lot of campsite options now for a lot of people that would be quite reasonable price like you know $15 a night $10 a night but I just really enjoyed like being on my own. So a lot of the places in the national park, you could park up overnight if you were going camping. But obviously I had my bed in the back of the van. So after a hike, I'd just go get back in my van. It was already eight o'clock at night. Nobody was coming to check. 
Um, so it was perfect up again in the morning. No one's even noticed you were there. Okay. And I know you said you were doing a lot of hiking, but like, so when you're in the park for like a few weeks, just parked up there, like, would you just be going hiking or how do you amuse yourself? Oh, hiking. Just loads yeah, of hiking. Yeah, it was all about the hikes. Like, I've not really hiked that many kilometres, like, in my life. And every day, I just, you don't need to have motivation to get up and do the hikes there. It is just so incredibly beautiful that even if your body's tired, you're like, I just want to see that one more lake and then I'll turn back. But occasionally I would feel exhausted, so I'd promise myself, right, tomorrow I'm going to do a short hike, sit by a lake and just relax. And then by the time I got there, I'd sit for a bit and then I'd just be like, oh, well, I'll just hike to the next waterfall or the next lake. So the rest days didn't really happen. Right. Do you have a Fitbit? Um, I've got Samson Health, so yeah, the amount of kilometres that I've done, I can see it, and you can see some of the weeks, like I think I had two days where I'd nearly walked marathons in the mountains, and I'm not even that healthy a person, like at all, like it's just built up, the more heights I've done, like I've really just, like my body's changed so much in this short space of time from it. That's so cool. And... Would you consider the van life thing budget-friendly? Completely, because um, as I say, if you were going to go and rent a van over there, then I think even for like the small like vehicle that I had was a Dodge Grand camper van or caravan, it was called. So it's not really a van. It's like more of a big car, um, and I had a single bed in the back. But you could still buy bigger vans for like a thousand um, English pounds to two thousand English pounds if you just look in the right season as well like October was quite a good time to buy it because it's the end of summer so people had used the vans and were not going to use them for winter so there was a lot of bargains to get there and um, obviously coming from the UK you know how expensive it is if we buy like secondhand vans over there you wouldn't be getting anything like you were getting in Canada. Yeah. Um, the gas price did go up, but it was still not as expensive as it is in the UK. Um, I think the most it got to in BC was $2.32. So I just didn't do a lot of driving until the gas prices came back down. Yeah. Um, but there was other options. If you were close to the US border, then you could always pop across the border and fill up the gasoline there and it was cheaper. But yeah, it was definitely affordable because you had no accommodation costs. You didn't have to pay for travelling around because you already had your vehicle. The insurance was 125 Canadian dollars a month. Obviously, it wasn't in my name. I had a good friend that I got it insured in their name. Um, Canadians are really friendly. If you've got a friend over there, then definitely ask them and I'm sure they'll go out of the way to help. What you're mentioning there about cars in the UK being so expensive, you're not going to believe that pre-Brexit, like it's not possible now, I don't think, but pre-Brexit, Irish people used to go to the UK to buy cars. Ah, it's like, so it was Because it was even worse in Ireland, yeah. Oh, gosh. Like, I think, I'm not, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but even maybe like crossing the border up north, you'd like to get cars because they were insane. cheaper there. But um, they, that's not possible now because of Brexit. But. 
Well, I hope that so. your costume bands go down and, yeah, then you can sell them to us for, like, more. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, going to flip. Yeah. <laughs> Reverse roles, but... Yeah, so in terms of um, safety then, like, when you're on your own doing this, like, did you ever feel more vulnerable or do you have any tips about safety? Um, I don't really consider things like that I always refuse to just live life without fear but I think a lot of that's just come from I've done a lot of backpacking and I've done a lot of like when I backpack it's not really I'm not gonna say it's reckless like but I like to hitchhike and I don't consider like what could happen and it's really built up my confidence because the majority of people in the world are good and it doesn't matter how poor the country is, what race they are, people really look after you in every country. So obviously there's like a few times that, yeah, you might feel a bit uneasy. I think trust your gut instinct in those situations, even if you don't know why you're feeling a bit off, there's always a reason for that. And again, that builds up your confidence over time, trusting your instinct. So... Don't feel uneasy. I know with van life and road trips, and um, they can have a bit of a reputation for people being a target. And um, now in Canada, I did nothing but meet good people. I broke down on the side of a national park, but I was a hundred kilometres away from Signal, and everybody was pulling in to help me. It was like unreal and they knew I couldn't do anything I'm just there at the side of the road so I ended up just getting completely rescued by some amazing people they came back in the vehicle and didn't want me to pay to have a tow truck so um, they came with a battery changed it out of my car I drove back to theirs and they let me have a shower fed me food Meanwhile, two other people that were going in the other direction had stopped and thought that they had a spare alternator at home. So bear in mind, I have no signal, no idea what's going on. They'd gone back and found the parts, sent the mum to a town 70 kilometres away to pick them up. And he'd rung around because he knew I was waiting for a tow truck, not realising that this man had come back for me knew no one was coming out, so he'd sent a tow truck on his RAC account or whatever it is over there. Yeah, but that'd I'd, be like the AA, like yeah, the road assisting. Just like going out of the way to help. It was crazy. Oh, my God. So my van got fixed. I paid for the parts, the people's house I was staying at. Um, they went and met the other guys whilst we went to see a daughter play a gig. Um, and then they came back. And the guy fixed my van, like everything, checks my brakes, filled me up with oil and um, for nothing. Like they didn't want anything. I'm like, please, I'll buy some wine and ended up just staying in touch with them. They knew what I was doing. So they were like, when you come back through, come and have a shower at hours. And yeah, I ended up meeting some amazing people through having a breakdown at the side of the road, basically. Oh my god! And do you think you were lucky, or do you think that just that would have happened to anyone? I honestly think in Canada, no one's going to leave anyone stranded. It's yeah, if it doesn't strike me as that sort of country, it's really hospitable and. Other people have been in situations like that. If they can help, they're going to help. Yeah, that's amazing. 
And when you were doing the van life thing, did you have a budget for the amount of months you were traveling for that you had to keep to? Yes. Uh, when I travel, I do travel for long term. Um, so my last big trip, I traveled for, it was 14 months for £10,000. And I had a little bit left. So I went for another two months after that. Um, and then this trip, I had £12,000 and I've been travelling for 14 months now. Um, so it's been a little bit more expensive this trip because the last one was in Southeast Asia and Africa. So it is a lot cheaper over there than Central America and North America. This trip being your trip through Central America? Yeah. And what about your... When you're doing the van life, how, what was your budget Ooh. for that trip? So I don't know how much I've spent in total, but it's just been the cost of the van, the $125 a month insurance, the national park fee, which I think was $50 and you can get in anywhere for free. And then it's just been the gasoline, which it depends how much you want to travel in Canada. It's a massive country. If you go in and you're just staying in the national parks, then... Like, as I say, I went three weeks without having to fill up gasoline. So there was lots of periods of time where I'd barely be tanking up. But obviously, when I'm working my way back across the country, then the long distances. So you're going to be topping up, you know, every sort of 400 kilometers is going to cost you on average about a $100, which is okay. 60 English pounds. Okay. Yeah, I remember when we drove to Banff. We got an upgrade. We rented a car and we got an upgrade. So we rented like an SUV and then we got this massive like Chevrolet Suburban. And we were like, this is amazing. We can fit all our stuff. There was three of us. We we're like, we can fit all of our stuff. And then it had like Wi-Fi and it had actual plugs, not even just oh, USBs. Wow. We we're like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then every time we topped it up was like, I think it was like a hundred dollars maybe or more. But like we, in our 10 days, like we did a lot of driving. But it guzzled the gas. It was like a six litre engine, maybe. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's huge. To consider if you're doing yeah. a road trip, you don't want a six. But obviously, yeah. for a shorter period of time, it was perfect. But, it was yeah. the novelty was great, but then it's only later that you're like, oh, so that bonus upgrade wasn't really a bonus at all, was it? <laughs> yeah, it, they knew. They knew. <laughs> yeah, no one wants the big cars because it costs so much. So if someone wanted to do the van life thing, what sort of steps would you recommend they follow? Like, So for the steps is definitely don't rent a van um, unless you're only going to go and do Canada for a couple of weeks um, then don't bother renting. If you're going for long term, then you get six months as a tourist visa coming from the UK. So I would definitely recommend, even if you're going for six months to buy the van, if you've got a friend over there or you know how to sort out the insurance legally, um, bear in mind you don't get stopped by the police in Canada unless like your lights out. It's not like in the UK where they're a bit more strict with things like that. But yeah, my advice would be buy it because it's so easy to sell vehicles like that afterwards. I actually sold mine for more money than I bought it for as well, which was just a massive bonus. And as I say, I paid nothing in accommodation costs because I had that van. And it is necessary, I think, when you're in a big country like that, 
in the cities you've obviously got the sky trains and a lot more transport to get around but when you're going out in the sticks there, there isn't the transport opportunities so you need your own vehicle for sure and it just opens up a lot more places that you can go to so I would definitely recommend it and as for people's budgets that depends on them if you're in the van then you've got a stove you can go and buy your stuff and you don't have to eat out peanut butter sandwiches they were they were my go-to for the majority of my time there but going through um, the Okanong in summer, everybody was giving me fruit because they just had so much fruit. Every in time. the Okanagan Valley? Yeah, and you'd talk to people at rest stops or when you were walking around and they'd be like, they, you'd tell them that you're travelling and they were like, oh my gosh, do you like cherries? Do you like peaches? And you were just getting bags and bags of fruit. And some of the hiking trails um, had blueberry bushes and like fruit bushes so you're walking around like actually just picking blueberries whilst you're doing a hike so yeah it was incredible and that's so cool and if somebody likes fishing then they could really catch their own fish like every day for dinner yeah uh, yeah so you really really could like live quite well on completely. a good budget completely and you you don't have to pay it's not like other places where, like, you go somewhere and there's a gorgeous waterfall. You have to pay to go see it. Once you've paid that national park fee, which is incredibly reasonable price, you don't have to pay for parking anywhere. You can go and do whatever you want, go see whatever lake, and it's just out of this world, the scenery over there. Yeah, they do have very good facilities at the parks, don't they? Like, they have toilets all along the hikes and... Yes. Even, like, sometimes they're dry, but sometimes they even have, like, plumbed toilets and stuff. Yeah, exactly, which, obviously, for being in the van, I always knew in the morning, regardless of where I was, um, like, camping, I knew that I wouldn't be too far away from a toilet. So it was fantastic for me. Yeah. Yeah, BC and, I suppose, Canada in general, Alberta and BC, are, that's where I would have explored as well. And yes. it's just so well maintained yeah for sure like we always said like if places were as well maintained as that in Ireland like you're ever going to be out hiking all the time (laughs) yeah exactly and it just stops people having to go and you know litter with toilet paper and things like that so yeah yeah you can't expect people to pick up toilet paper and bring it back with them like that's just not reasonable to ask people to do that yeah and it's one of those I think they do say it's like biodegradable but They've just got it in place, so it's not even necessary. It's yeah. not a country where you go to and see litter anywhere in Canada. I genuinely didn't see litter. It was phenomenally clean. It's, yeah, they respect nature so much there. I suppose it's, you grow up respecting nature when nature can kill you. Like, yeah. you know, like here, or sorry, not here, but like in Ireland, like nothing can kill you. So, like, I feel like, and in the UK, I think as well. So, like, I feel like you don't respect it as much because there's no fear there maybe yes. I don't know <laughs> yes for sure like in Canada if you litter when you're camping a bear is going to come in the middle of the night and is going to like sniff out your campsite and might rip open your tent <laughs> yes exactly there's a big incentive to um yeah pick your trash up that's yeah. for sure yeah so 
That's your van life experience. What other types of budget travel trips have you done around the world? So my um, last big trip um, was Southeast Asia and Africa. So it's just staying in dormitories, hostels, um, getting buses um, wherever possible, local ferries. I really enjoyed snorkeling. So it had the advantage of being free. So it was like, just go stick me on an island somewhere for a few days and I'll be off exploring the ocean, jumping on a little local boat to the next place and just sort of didn't have a plan. I really don't like to plan when I go travelling. I know sometimes you have to have a sort of idea, but I just went where life sort of took me and um, a big thing when I'm travelling places that aren't accessible, like with land borders, is just looking on Skyscanner, having a little look where the cheapest place is to fly. And sometimes you end up seeing like a bargain flight to like the Maldives for $20 from KL. And it's like, oh, why not? I have a quick look <laughs> on booking.com and it's like, oh, $15 for my own room because there wasn't a hostel there at the time. And then just ended up jumping across to there and sometimes you go with the fear thinking it's going to be too expensive I'm not going to be able to afford this country and then you get there and you realize very quickly how affordable it is and it's just because it has certain countries do have like con um like connotations is that right word or preconceptions um sometimes that it's going to be super expensive or it's only for the rich like the Maldives, we see it as like a honeymoon destination. But that's just the resort islands. There's so mm. many little islands there that are really, really affordable and street food. Yeah. And then, so you said you did the Maldives. You did Africa as well, or some countries yeah, in Africa? Yeah, I've done quite a bit of Africa. I love islands, so I've done like a few islands there, like Cape Verde, Mauritius, Zanzibar. But I've done Mozambique, Swaziland, but I think that's called Is- Iswatini now. A little bit of South Africa and Madagascar, Egypt. There's probably a few other places. Sometimes I get a little bit forgetful when I'm reeling them off. But Africa's a very cheap place to travel and in, in, it's safe. But you've just got to be careful like every country. If you're walking around with your jewellery and showing wealth, which luckily I don't do anyway regardless, um, then you are going to be perhaps a little bit more of a target. But yeah, it doesn't mean everywhere, like for sure, just like cities mainly, I would say, particularly in places like Madagascar and Maputo at the time. But the islands were tended to be absolutely fine. And I wouldn't say to anyone that that sort of stuff happens a lot, just yeah. to be aware of it. I suppose like cities everywhere, like, Yes. I'm, I'm I'm as scared in like London as well. I, I know Dublin, but you know, like any big city somewhere, like I'm gonna be scared until I've really got to know it. Like I was terrified in Berlin the few months I was living there until I got used to it and got to know it. Like I know where to go and just things like that. Big but, cities are just a bit scary and a bit more risky than other places. I think that's what I always say. The scariest part of my trip would be going to London to get my flight. Um, <laughs> And if anyone from back home says about countries, oh, why are you going there? And it's not safe. And yeah, for me, it's so much safer than the UK, even when you're in super poor countries, because they don't have the greed. Like as much as like 
I'm not saying like people back home, but they, they don't want the money, like they don't want the things that people think they want. So you can't go to a country and think everyone's going to take your stuff because it's just not the case over there at all. Yeah, it's like that greed and entitlement that yes. people don't have or something. Yeah, that's interesting. What would be some tips you have for people who want to travel on a shoestring? Because just remind me again some of your trips you did and how much you paid for them. So this trip's been 14 months now with eight months in Canada, Costa Rica, Mexico, Nicaragua, Guatemala and Belize. And in total, I've spent £12,000. Okay, so that is... Some very good going. <laughs> yes. And I don't feel like I've missed out on things. I have some rules when I'm travelling, like even when I'm back home, like I'm working in bars. So I don't want to come travelling to sit and drink in a tourist bar. And I don't want to have eat in a restaurant unless it's a local restaurant. But I really enjoy like street food. So if there's just little things that you can sacrifice on, they really do go a long way when you're long-term travelling. They probably end up buying you another two months of travelling just through having a little bit of sacrifice. Hitchhiking obviously saves a massive amount of money and you don't know who you're going to meet. Speaking to locals, like just asking around, um, a lot of people really want to show you their country and the more you speak to people the more people you meet and you just don't know what's going to happen the next day what you're going to end up seeing that you wouldn't have maybe seen if you hadn't have spoken to them the trip that I did before that was Southeast Asia and Africa so I spent £10,000 for 14 months but managed to get another two months out of that in Africa so 16 months for £10,000 yeah which will probably walk you out 11, 12,000 euro just yeah. for any euro listeners. So, yeah, that's fairly good going when you think like the average person probably at home lives on maybe like 20,000 in a year or something, or I don't know. I actually don't know what it is. But <laughs> yeah, and I didn't, I saw everything I wanted to see like genuinely over there. It was phenomenal. Um, so, you did tours. Um, I try and avoid tours whenever okay. possible or what I tended to do is if I did need transportation to like get to places then and it, I wasn't renting my own motorcycle then instead of speaking to like a taxi driver, a tour guide, I'd just go and speak to like some locals even when there was a bit of a language barrier. I've written down where I want to go. I know what I'm giving them is a completely fair price like com- Completely, but it's undercutting whatever I'd pay as a tour guide. Um, so someone that doesn't even do that job has got access to have this amount of money to take me round, show me their island, and it's been brilliant. It's been really brilliant. Um, I had, like, some places I do put down boundaries with people because as a female traveller and you're on your own, um, men will respect you if you respect yourself, and I make it clear because I'm quite a friendly, chatty person. I always make it clear with guys that we're just friends. Um, I'm not looking for love. You know, we're just friends. And once you establish those boundaries with them, you know, maybe they'll try a couple more times. 
like, oh, I love you and why you don't have a husband, I'll be your husband. But when you just put it down assertive, like, you're not there looking for love, you just want to see the country, then, yeah, you can establish some really good friendships from the back of that. And people have been okay and they've generally backed off. Yeah, genuinely. There's been a couple of times, like, on, on across my whole travels where, like, a couple of bad things have happened. You know, I've got a guy to take me around, you know, doing the thing that I did. And it wasn't actually the guy I wanted, but the police, like, came and got involved and made me go with this guy. Oh. And um, I had a bad vibe about him already. And he tried to kiss me when he was taking the, my helmet off. Now, we couldn't speak a word of each of us language at all. But it was clear that I was annoyed. I headbutted him with my helmet Fairly. on. But it split his lip and his lip was bleeding. He was angry. He was shouting at me in Indonesian. I was shouting at him in English. I had no signal because I don't travel with Wi-Fi, but just got my phone out and pretended I did. I was in the middle of nowhere. So we'd fallen out for a bit and then he comes over and he wouldn't give me a lift back unless I drove. And of course, I wasn't going to drive because that would leave my body open to being touched. So oh. I just stand my ground, I stay strong, and he did eventually take me back. He did drop me off like a mile away from where I was. But trust me, this is from so many like experiences. It was just one bad thing. And as I say, I should have just trusted my gut in that first place because I didn't want to go with him. And then the only other time was a guy who had a drink. I was a bit stupid, really. I paid him little money to go and take me to a beach nearby. And um, he was just, like, touching at me. And I was, like, giving him a little hit when he did it, you know, making a joke at first. And then he touched me again. So I tried to make it very clear not. So every time he touched me, I started hitting him harder. And then he tried to pull my shorts down. But I had, like, my swimming stuff underneath. So I just punched him. And um, I panicked because it was only, like, my first sort of month in, like, the... Like it was in a little Indonesian island called Nusa Penida, and it was like Muslim. And I was a little bit concerned that I'd just punched a Muslim man on the beach, and all of these men came running over. And I was like, Oh God, no, are they gonna come and tell me off? And they came and they told the guy off, like, really told him off. And one of them gave me a lift back for free, and they were like, Sorry, so I'd like to think that he would never do that again. But obviously, it's not a big thing. It was just, yeah. It's scary because it's it's not even about what actually happened. It's about that power being taken away from you and the risk of what could have happened. Or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's always people that will help. And, you know, you've just got to remember things from their point of view, like what um, perceptions they can have on our culture and... I smoke, so I have been in countries where as a smoking woman, they've sort of assumed I'm a prostitute, but... Really? Yeah. So, yeah, just consider things like that. I'd always try and go and smoke, like, somewhere discreetly, or if there was, like, a, a nice, you know, some nice people smoking, and it's like, do you mind if I just stand here for a cigarette? Like, and it's not everybody. It's just being aware of things like that and cultural differences, that can help you yeah that's yeah that's my about smoking I didn't know that at all yeah even in Ethiopia I only had two days there so don't 
like count it as being there but they would not give me a light at the airport I must have asked about 50 people nobody would give me a light I said to this guy women aren't allowed to smoke in your country and they were like yeah how did you tell oh my goodness (laughs) that's mad I do want to just take a side note here listeners I do apologize for the noise outside it is absolutely bucketing down rain we are 18 days into the dry season and it's not living up to its name. So I do apologise for the background noise, but hopefully you can hear us and we'll carry on. <laughs> I think we are actually coming to the end of our questions. So I do want to finish. I ask everyone a bit of a quick fire round at the end. So what is your favourite accommodation out of anywhere you've stayed? Ooh, oh, I'm very bad at favourites. But on this recent trip, oh, it has to be my van. I was in love oh, with it. Yes. Yeah, it has to be my van. Brilliant. And what's your favourite memory? You're going to hate this quick fire yeah, round. <laughs> you're going to hate my answers because I just honestly got so many. But yeah, I'm going to have to go with yesterday then um, seeing as a lover of snorkelling to go and see healthy coral turtles eagle rays and all of those nurse, nurse sharks, sharks. <laughs> which just without the expectation of even seeing one almost got the manatees but yeah yesterday is going to be my fondest memory nice and what's your favorite food uh, nasi gara or oh, in belize it's definitely the fry jack um but in Asia, I lived off nasi garang pretty much ate it every day for 14 months and I was not bored of it. Is that in Indonesia? Yeah, all across Asia is do okay. nasi garang, but they have a very bif- different variation, really. And so what it's is mainly that? like Indonesia and Malaysia where it's like their dish. So it's fried rice, chopped veg, an egg on the top. You get like cucumbers, tomatoes, prawn crackers. If you go to the little rurongs, they usually give you like free soup until you've drank about four bowls and that's <laughs> delicious. And you used to pay less than a pound. Oh my and God. it was like a mound. You could take half of it home for dinner later. Amazing. And last one, I'd say you're going to hate this one. What is your favourite country you've been? Okay, I've never ever been able to answer this. I leave my heart with every country and I want to go back to every country that I've visited apart from my own country. But I'm probably going to have to say Canada just for the overall diversity, the size of the country, the friendliest of the people, the fact that I could actually afford to go and do it and the freedom of having my van, Canada is my favourite country. Wow, okay, so far. So far, yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you so much, Emma. Really appreciate it. I'm sure your tips and just hearing about your experience will help someone uh, to get out there on the road. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maria. Thank you for listening to Recipe to the Road podcast. If you want to contact the show or you have any comments or questions, you can get me on Instagram at recipe to the road or by email recipe to the road at gmail.com. If you'd like to follow my journey and see what I'm doing at the moment, you can also see that on my Instagram at recipe to the road. Thank you for listening.